You delve from the bright, packed streets into a dark, dank, musty watering hole. The light of the sun has been blocked out of the tavern by heavy curtains that have been bleached white by the strain. Behind the counter, a butterball man with a whore's rouge face and a sea cow's countenance eyes you warily as you cross the threshold. From the lightless corner, you barely make out the shape of a cloaked figure whose silhouette tracks your approach. <clears throat> Took you long enough. And I told you, if I'm gonna buy an eighth of crack, I'm gonna be subtle about it. Hi! Welcome to Dungeoneers Local. I bet you're wondering who the hell are these weird guys sitting here lecturing you at the moment? <laughs> My name is Edward Nugent. I have been an amateur DM for, dear God, going on about a decade right about now. That's depressing. And with me are two victims. Introduce yourself, victim number one. Hi, I'm victim number one, otherwise known as Richard Rose. I have experience as a dungeon master of about... Oh, I want to say two or three years, but for the past uh, half year plus, I have actually enjoyed the position of a professional dungeon master for hire, and I actually get quite a lot of business. Wait, it's been a year now? Over a little, a little over half a year. Half a year, okay. It'll be a year in, oh, it'll be a year in two months, actually. Holy crap. Man. Anyway, victim number two. <laughs> Hi, I am CJ. I am victim number two. I am an ethereal ghost in the far distance that they conjured to this room to mediate this podcast. You are um, the adult here. I'm the resident adult. Which is why I am throttling your connection. You are not allowed to have any sound come through here. No. Except when we go back to the recording and it actually works this time. Yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, I have been a DM technically for as far back as four years, though I've mainly been DMing the past year and a half-ish. A DM on paper. I am a DM on my resume. You are a DM in the same way that I am a writer. Yes. So, today we are here to talk about a classic. Namely, starting your game in a goddamn tavern. Why the hell do they always start in taverns? Because it's easy. Does it, a lot of damage. It does a lot of damage. You know, it's, it's, it's easy. It's just really, really, really easy. To have it as a central place for your characters to meet. It's a social hub in town. A place where they can find NPCs of varying importance. Yeah, everybody goes there. It's where you get beer. Yeah, and people go there with their problems, too. So problem solvers are always welcome at a place where there are problems. Of course. Now, I did a bit of dicking. I did a bit did of a bit digging. Of oh, yeah, you <laughs> did go to the tavern. Fuck. I did a bit of digging on this because I was originally going to do a whole bit on, like, what is a tavern and proceed to patronize everyone here. But then I came across some actually rather interesting information. Our idea of what a tavern is, as presented by fantasy, is completely different from what it used to be back in the past. The earliest reference to something similar to taverns I could come across went back, like most roads, to Rome. Specifically, you know, when talking about Western history and, you know, sources I can find in English. Where there were specifically two types of hostelries and sort of soup kitchens. One was known as the Capona, which was notably very low class. You get all the homeless and the thieves there. Spiritually, a tavern we are talking about right now. The other was the Tauberna, where the, the name has its origin. And that was more for, you know, your middle-class white folk. Ah. Yeah. Did they actually pay for the food there, or was it still soup kitchen Uh, they did pay for the food there. Um, it was just very much a case of, the stew will be out about sunset, and if it- if you are late, get fucked, I'll serve you some shitty beer. I'll take shitty beer, then. I mean, same. Cleaner than the water. It's always cleaner than the water. I mean, unless you've got a priest in town, it's pretty much the only thing that won't kill you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
to get the best idea of one of the, uh, just your stereotypical medieval tavern, if you really just kind of want to go for the authenticity of the whole deal, read Canterbury Tales. Yes, I'm telling you to read a book from hundreds of years ago. It's a good one. It gives you a good feeling of, like, just what was life like back then. However, if you don't want to delve back into the historical record, if I remember correctly, Warhammer Fantasy does it right, where it's just sort of like a roadhouse you stop by while you travel. Well, that was... what I was describing was the Roman conception of taverns. The conception of taverns from the Middle Ages comes largely from England, in our tradition, where it was... well, taverns were in the city, and you would go there to get soup and beer. And it was served at certain times, and you could go in, throw a shilling into the pot, and get some shitty stew that has probably been sitting on the fire for three years now. And then there were inns, which is what exactly we think of. It still had that very communal, rigid timescale to the serving schedule. However, it also had room, room and board. And so that is the stereotypical fantasy tavern right there. And we can't talk about the stereotypical fantasy tavern without getting into my goddamn bugbear. Hey! No, I'm not talking about actual bugbears. Oh, okay, I was like, oh, alright, now we're doing the this easy is, this part. This is the actual, like, mythological bugbear that is, like, representation of fear. Yeah. Oh! Well, less fear here, more annoyance. I'm going to go on one of my Tolkien rants. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. So, our conception of taverns when it comes to fantasy is just the fucking Prancing Pony. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, everything I see these days is pretty much modeled off the Prancing Pony, and it's... It, it, it's the, the Prancing Pony single-handedly managed to turn every tanner... Uh, tanner. Every tavern into, like, our modern downtown bar. Now, hey, it's been a while since I've read it, but I believe he was just generally m more faithful to the idea of it, and just kind of slightly modernized it for a current audience, who I blame. Now, I do not hate Mr. John Robert Roll Tolkien. Mm. I hate everyone who's fucking copying him, because... So everyone that made fantasy after Tolkien. Precisely! <laughs> Tolkien ruined fantasy. Not by writing The Lord of the Rings. He ruined fantasy by letting people read The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Everybody wants to be John Robert Real Tolkien, but only John Robert Real Tolkien has that dumb of a name. So yeah, it's just sort of like... It's all just the prancing pony when you get down to, like, the basic trope. Uh, when you get to drill down real easy and just don't think about it at all, because it serves as a very good meeting place. That's where you go, you meet your guide, they begin your quest. Also, I need to note that David Weatherly will live forever, considering how many D&D &D games Barlam Butterbur has showed up in. Sorry, who's David Weatherly? I actually don't know that one. Uh, he was the... He's the actor who played the tavern keeper in um, the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, well, so, so he's set for life now. Yeah, he's literally just tavern keeper number three. Oh, well, damn. Yeah. Okay. So, this is generally where your quest begins, and we can understand why you would do that. It's good. It's easy. We all know what's going to happen when you enter into a tavern looking for a quest. You're gonna find it on a board, or come across a mysterious stranger brooding in the corner just waiting for everyone to come up and talk to him. Mm -hmm. However, while I'm being rather derisive of this whole thing, I do think that it serves a pretty good purpose. And this is where Edward continues to show off his academic perversions. It's... A vertical slice, so to speak, in gameplay design terms. It is very- but of your setting. So, taverns are very good because they're the closest thing in a fantasy setting to our modern conception of the dive bar. And while we stereotypically think of a dive bar as very low class, 
Dive bars cross all social barriers. If you have no respect for yourself at 12.30 at night... Hey, 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 hey. I, I, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Because the last, like, the last like, dive, dive bar I went to was on the second date with the love of my life. Um, and we, like the moment we walked into the bar, there was this late 40-something-year-old woman with a smoker's voice who just looked me like dead in the like looked into my soul and said, "You don't belong here, kid." So I don't I don't know if it's exactly for all classes. So. I love her. <laughs> I think she was just talking about twinks. <laughs> wow, that's we emotional have... damage. Ever fucking felt it. We have to gatekeep the twinks. Yeah, precisely. We need to throw them out. You have too much bottom energy. Hey! <laughs> Stop it! Whoa! So mean. But anyway, what I'm trying to say here is a tavern is very much a gussied up dive bar. You gentrified it, but didn't really raise the prices, so you're still getting the normal locals. So you just really get everyone across all social boundaries. And since there's alcohol there, and we go to alcohol like flies to shit as humans, oh yeah, you get... Just everyone from a wide berth around the place, so it's a very good place to just condense your setting into. And if you can do that, the tavern's a really good start, to... because it's easy. Yeah. It's really easy. It's really easy. It's so easy. So, so do we want to launch into the, the, the meat of what this episode is about, and the pros and cons of starting your campaign in a tavern? Yes, let's go into the pros and cons, then. Again, I've said this before, I think we've said it like five times right now. It's easy. It's easy. And cliches, while stereotypically we view them as bad, they serve a very good narrative purpose in that they are very easily recognizable. You go into a tavern as a D&D party and know what's going on. You are going there, you are going to find a quest. So if you have a group that is media literate on, like, fantasy, it serves as a very good starting point, because everybody knows why we're in a tavern. We're either getting drunk or we're looking for work. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say cliches and tropes serve as sort of prepackaged building blocks that everyone has a general consensus of. In most circumstances. Anchor points to refer back to themselves when setting the scene in their mind. Precisely, yeah. It's just, you know, it is a basic essential we have in our mind, much like character archetypes. Much like you present a tavern in a fantasy game and you know we are going to start a quest, you put a bearded old man in front of me and I'm going to be like, oh, he's going to teach me an important life lesson before he dies dramatically. Or he's going to be the party wizard. Or he's going to be the wizard and get us all killed. Or the DM's just a creative, slinky little guy, and he's just a drunk. And you've been and you've been chatting him up, thinking he's a wizard. You've been listening to a drunkard rant at you about magical theory that isn't real. Just throw in wizard Diogenes. <laughs> Behold, a man, he says, before turning Plato into a chicken. <laughs> anyway, continue on. Yes, bringing your players in is the most important. You don't really... You don't want to go something too complicated for your intro, because you'll have a lot of players just sitting there wondering what the hell is going on here and trying to just figure out what their character's doing. You, you want to start out with the players sort of hooked and latched onto something. Because uh, if you don't start out, like, with a clear understanding of what's happening, then there's no basis for them to jump on, uh, or, or to jump on to. If you just throw a bunch of, like, cool dramatic plot points at them over the course of 30 minutes, that's just baffling everyone with bullshit. No one can appreciate anything that's actually legitimately good you might throw in there. That's, that's why the old-ass D&D module, I think it's Vecna Lives or Die, Vecna, Die. Where it starts you out as the Circle of Eight, which are all 20th level wizards, and the DM is just given a hand wave ability to kill the wizards, and the players have to play as the wizards, and there's no, like, deviation that you can do. They, the wizards are going to die, right? You can only watch. You can only watch. 
And it, like that's a cool plot point and like an interesting premise, but like as a from a player perspective, that's kind of awful. You just made me play an old guy so you could kill him. Yes, <laughs> and it's it's a common critique of that particular module. Like if he did just did it as like a little cutscene, or like the players are investigating the scene afterwards, and one of them comes across a crystal ball that looks into the past, or they have oh, it as a collective like, dream. Yeah, like I'm gonna plug here for a second. Uh, plug for what? It doesn't exist anymore. Um, so in the Sith campaign that I was running a while back, for uh, you were a part of that, um, Edward. Um, CJ and, and, was in there for CJ one session. There right at the end, I was so excited for your character turning from Jedi to Sith, but. Where I'm getting at in relevance to this is, uh, you remember your Sith Lord, Valene Redvale. Now that I'm a more experienced Dungeon Master, I can play her off a lot easier. But I had all these cards to her chest, and what I was intending to do with that is use um, the Psychometry Jedi ability, where you basically hear echoes of the past. And if you guys ever looked into Redvale, I was going to have you guys have snippets of where you could find like sites that were important to her past. And then use psychometry, and instead of me just telling you what happened, I was going to show you what happened through a vision of the path. That is good narrative design, I feel. There is one mistake, though. Mm. You let us all play the Sith, and then assumed we had an interest in other people. <laughs> yes, it was also my first campaign. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you had some good bits in there. Yeah, no, the first session went way better than it had any right to. Oh, yeah, it really did. It was impressive. Yes, but uh, back on point. Back on the point. What you really wanted Sorry to... Sorry about all that background creaking. We have old chairs here. <laughs> it's not that old. I, I don't know if the mic will even pick it up, because it was barely picking up my voice before, so... Fair enough. So, you anyway. will be quiet, but it will still pick up the chair. Five bucks on it. <laughs> anyway. So, you need to set the stage for the adventure that will come. As aforementioned... Taverns will just kind of draw everyone in. It's just a good, condensed version of the setting. You can introduce the primary problems and plot hooks through this tavern, where they're all easily accessible. Now, am I saying that the quest should be easy to find? Eh, that's up to you. Just, you know, providing hints to it. Making players... letting players feel clever if they find something hidden. You want to make your players feel good. They need to be powerful. They need to be smart. They need to be pretty. This is the point. Most importantly, though, with a tavern, you can meet the fucking weirdest people ever. Just like dive bars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know if I want to mention them on this podcast, but some of my most interesting experiences have been crossfading with strangers at public bars. Yeah, no. Um, never got crossfaded at public bars, but CJ's witnessed this. Hey, you should do it. One day you'll be well, 30 minutes in the conversation in Guerneville talking with like a man in his 60s and uh, him telling you a story about how he and his wife did date rape drugs in their pool to see what it was like. What? <laughs> yeah, uh, the response was terrifying. They were, were they? <laughs> I, I'd be concerned if it was anything else. <laughs> yeah, they were doing awful. quaaludes in the pool. They were doing quaaludes in the pool, bro. That reminds. How did me... that not end with an obituary? That reminds me of that clip of that one old man just yelling about how he misses quaaludes. <laughs> like I miss beer. CJ's witness to this. Uh, when I was still drinking, I'd go out to bars, usually alone, and almost always get recruited by the local longshoremen's union. <laughs> and, like, the one time I started I telling it. CJ about this, we were at a bar, and the guy behind us looks over at me and shouts out the chapter name of the local longshoremen's union. They were trying to get him. Fate is calling me to the sea. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean waits. I'd probably be doing more productive things if I had listened. <laughs> you wouldn't be podcasting. <laughs> and that would be a net good to society. But the best thing you can do for your tavern, aside from the weirdos, always have the weirdos in there. You just gotta make it unique. 
What gives this tavern personality? Is it the giant stuffed boulette that takes up a third of the floor space? Is it the barkeeper, who just happens to be a funny little guy? TM. Yeah. Or is it the fact that this place is horribly haunted, no one wants to be here, and oh god, did the door just close behind us? <laughs> The main, the main thing is that a tavern is a good basis and a preset, but there's a lot of potential that can be done with it. If you sort of just throw in a tavern, then it's not going to have as much of an impact as it could if you added some... What is, what is it? Set dressing? Yeah, set dressing. Some panache. Just some... I'm trying to think of a very overdramatic word here because I Probably like... something French. Probably something French. So, yeah. Or you don't. Or you could take the opposite route. You don't need to panache it up at all. If if it's just like a small, like wayside point, almost like it, like the the tavern is not going to be a memorable place to come back to, or it's it's not going to be a recurring theme in the story, and you're just using it to get them out there in the world, then you don't have to focus too hard about, like, the details of the tavern, but... Oh yeah, but having it be memorable is the most important part of, um, starting the game. Oh, well, you true. want it to be, you want it to be a good hook, get your players begging for more, so much more that you lose control of your life and spiral into podcasting. Oh, yeah. Um, which is why the thing I love about taverns the most is it helps practice social-focused encounters, because, as far as I'm concerned, running combat is the easiest shit about any tabletop RPG. Oh, hands down. It's like, everything's written down there for you. There's an answer to whatever question is levied that you don't have to personally provide. At that point, it's just a board game. Yeah, precisely. At the point, it's just a board game, and board games are fun. You don't yeah. have to think about them too much. But then you get into exploration, which I feel is like the middle tier, where you have to actually think about, like, okay, can they climb this cliff? Would it be a good idea if they did this thing that isn't in the module? What do I see around me? Fuck, what do you see around you? How many times have I uttered that in my life? Yeah, it's, 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 it's because players will always find... Players will always find something you didn't plan for. And yeah. And that's just... Part of being a dungeon master. DM, what is the barkeep's favorite color? <laughs> that is my favorite joke question to ask whenever I'm a player. <laughs> well, you hate some of your DMs, so that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also gives you practice in the hardest part of handling social encounters. Oh shit, they're talking to two NPCs at the same time. Hmm. Fuck, they need to talk to each other. I have to talk to myself here for a little bit. Excuse me while I play with my dolls. <laughs> yes. Yes, that... Honestly, I actually find that one to be... But that's just me personally. I find that one actually easier to do rather than corresponding with the player because of the ball's in your court and you can choose to reveal what information you want to reveal. The tricky part is, like, having them interact within their characters. Yep, yep. Not as a plot device. Because... Not as a plot device. Because I have that problem a lot, and I'm trying to stray away from it, where, like, I can keep up a character for a little while, and then it just becomes Edward. Yes. Talking to yourself is a very difficult skill to master. This is why you should talk into a microphone in your own room alone. Or practice voice acting. Or practice voice acting. So talk into a microphone in your own room alone. Exactly. But you can, but you can feel like it's somebody else on the other side. Right? All of the voices in my head are finally leaking through. You don't want me doing voices, though. You never want me doing a voice or doing an accent, because I will offend someone, and it is usually not who I'm imitating. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, for real, I only I only imitate northern and southern European accents. Anything outside of that, I'm like... Or southern American accents. Or southern American accents. I... Different from South American accents. White people accents. I'll yeah. imitate white people I can't, accents. I can't even do white people accents. I mean, I can kind of do a fake German, but no. Um, My great-grandpa was Irish. I met him multiple times. I cannot roll my R's. I am ashamed of my family. <laughs> God. Anyways. And, most importantly... We get back to the players here, because this gets them 
a very good opportunity, especially if you're just starting out, to figure out who the fuck your char their character is. Because I don't know if you two have come across this, but I have a conception of a character in my head, and then we sit down at the table, and I need to start talking as them, and it completely flies out the window. <laughs> yes. I very rarely know what my character is exactly going to act like until it hits the session, and then it just goes. Oh yeah. I thought I was going to make a communist revolutionary. Instead, I just got Hubert Farnsworth mixed with Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, Alistair. Oh, Alistair. He has so much brain damage. <laughs> so many TBIs. It gets worse every time we get back to him. Yep. Yep. Just waiting. Waiting to get this back to Widow. But yeah, they can get their character tailored there. They can just kind of figure out, okay, who is this? What do I want to do? Yada, yada, yada. And the wide cast that is present in a tavern allows for a variety of interesting social interactions, putting everyone in, like, okay, I'm talking to someone I like, I'm talking to someone I don't like, I'm being interacted with, with this by this weird stranger who's sitting in the corner yet beckoning me over. <laughs> So, you know, that's me shilling for the tavern for a little bit. Now, we get into the professional opinion. Alright, well, don't put too much weight in professional opinion, but... Um, I am... Hey, I've only lost money doing this. Oh, uh, fair enough. Um, so, I'm gonna, oh, wait, I'm gonna take the reins here for a minute, yeah? And uh, I'm gonna start launching into the cons of my personal grievances with uh, starting your game in the tavern. So... We've mentioned this a few times. Uh, earlier, Edward, we mentioned it about, about fifth time, so this is probably six or seven. Ten, maybe. Ten, maybe. It is too easy, to the point of being uncreative, in my opinion. Um, or, like, because if it's if it's part of what you have going on, say, say it's not really supposed to be, like how I was talking earlier, it's just a mundane time, there's nothing really special about it and you're just a bunch of characters looking for some kind of work, um, and somebody at the table tavern says, oh, you know, like, I have goblins raiding my farm. Well, I could take care of that. And that's a pretty okay place to start your tavern, but too many times I've seen games start out where it's like, you start in a tavern, and then the shadowy court wizard sits in the back corner of the bar and waves you over to then start talking about this plot that's unfolding against the kingdom here and uh, within your realm's borders. And they need spirited individuals to go out and start figuring out or solving the problem. Why the fuck is the court wizard looking for help to save the realm in a tavern? Why is the noble's trusted captain looking for assistance at a tavern? Why is why is anybody looking for assistance on anything that is like important in a tavern? It's like saying it it's like going onto Craigslist and, and hiring uh, from Craigslist. Craigslist, my one true love. Like, like you can find somebody fucking amazing and that checks all the boxes but you're also just as likely to find somebody lying on their resume. And, like, also a chance that they're just there to fuck you over, so... I was very lucky in that I bought a TV off of Craigslist, um, like a week ago, and I went over, gave the guy hundred bucks, took the TV, put it in my car, and when I got home, it worked! And it was hey. not filled with crack! And it was not filled with crack, unfortunately. <laughs> I really could have used some. No, um... But I think the main problem with that anecdote you were um, throwing out is that you had anybody but Strider in that corner. It is always Strider, the Vigo Mortensen version, because we all either want to be or fuck Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> well, yeah, that's just like a fundamental law. That's the 11th commandment. Yeah, precisely. We uh, will fuck Vigo. Fuck Vigo. Uh, but not, like, but not, you know, uh, dismissively, attentively. Sensually, with care. Yeah, lovingly. Making, making eye contact. Yes, the but whole being time. being a little rough, because soft sex is boring. Uh, <laughs> unless the emotions are really rampant. Now, um, also, 
Another grievance of mine is that it requires a lot of shoehorning into the scene. So, tell me if you've heard this one before. You've got a party of five characters consisting of a Hobgoblin Warlord's archetype character, a uh, Dwergar Artificer, um, a Wood Elf... A wood elf evocationist, of all things. Um, a gnome barbarian. The best kind. The best kind. And, uh... Uh, and then a human power. Forgot to add throwing tiefling bard. Oh, excuse me. T tiefling charisma build of some kind. Yeah, uh, precisely. Paladin, warlock, bard, something. Yeah, something. Um, so... And, and you know, and, and say the alignments are as follows. Um... Uh, neutral good, lawful evil, chaotic neutral, true neutral, and chaotic good. Uh, and, and, uh, let's throw in a chaotic evil for fuck's sake. Because some people just go in there and, and with an idea that their chaotic evil is going to mesh well with the party and surprise them. Surprisingly, uh, people who play chaotic evil characters, chaotic evil. Yeah. Um, I've, I've met a very few people who have been able to like hold the reins properly on a chaotic, chaotic evil character. I gotta do that at some point. That um, will be the end of you. It will. You're doing that in one of my girlfriend's games. I'm not letting you play that on my <laughs> table. I'm... Yes, but so to the point, right? So, all of a sudden, you've got to find a way to get all these people from these drastically different walks of life, and even the way society views their species, into a tavern. Like, a Dwergar comes walking into a tavern... You're gonna start getting some eyes because you're a Dwergar. You're you're one of the notoriously known gray-skinned evil dwarves. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you're inherently evil, but you know there's just gonna be some societal prejudice upon that. And this really highlights the need for well, session zero, which is something that I think is a topic for a whole nother episode, <laughs> but also talking with your players and having them establish a backstory that is tied to the setting. Because you were talking about the Dwergar right there, a player of mine once brought to oh, our stereotype... Oh, uh, just real quick, I apologize to anybody else out there that calls it Dwergar. It, it can be called Dwergar or Dwergar. It is, both pronunci pronunciations are canonical. We had to preempt that. <laughs> Words are a lie. Our eyes are projecting holograms onto our brains. I can say the words on the page however I want. <laughs> Hoop goblin. Hoop goblin. Um, the session zero. Yes, the session zero, which is a topic for a whole other time. But talking to your players, get them to make a backstory and work them into that scene. A player of mine played a drow in the most stereotypical fantasy setting I could have where, you know, you go underground and they eat your baby. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, crap. How is he going to be in this small town where, you know, no one has seen a drow in 75 years? But I've only heard stories of them being boogeymen. Yeah, precisely. It's like, oh god, a bodak just walked into my town. Why is he trying to purchase my wares? Precisely, and... Get them a tie into the setting. Either you like there are local relations with a nearby drow tribe, or it's a personal thing. Maybe, yes, he was a bodak to them when he first came, but then they learned to live with him after, you know, not setting him on fire immediately, and he has actual ties in that community. Yeah. But that requires work. A, a lot of the issues that we can run into with trying to slot in a prepackaged trope like a tavern requires... A, it's all about figuring out the contextual things around it. What are the players bringing to the table? What's the plot that the DM is bringing to the table? How can I actually creatively weave these into the tavern? So if you, going, back, going back to Richard's point, if you just sort of slap a tavern down then it's not going to be as memorable, because it's a very common trope. Yes, and, and, and to kind of uh, bounce off of that into a... I'm going to tie two of my other points here together into one super point. So, I think starting out in a tavern is also just so mundane. Um, I think you should start your game in a place equivalent to the scope slash the grandeur of the quest you are sending them on. So, kind of back into that earlier thing where there's just that farmhand that needs help with some goblets, and maybe you're building up to, like, they... 
they're joining a mercenary guild and you're just kind of using it to run whatever ventures you come up with without an overarching campaign to be fun with. And you want to like do a bit of RP on like how they got accepted into the guild. And that's a great way to handle it. And like, Hey, we heard you uh, helped out one of the locals with his uh, farm problem. Uh, one of our mercenary men went down to that tavern. It's his favorite watering hole. And you know, he told you about us and we got there. If it is the court wizard, Looking for people, uh, and I, I, I don't know why, I like the court wizard a lot, usually because the old wizard in the tavern court. Yes. But, uh, the court wizard is like, they're the, the, the scrolls of prophecies for Tell of Doom, and we need some specialists to go poke into this and see if we're being, you know, overexcited about this, or if we need to, like, start battening down the hatches. Um, in that case, like, find a way to introduce them going to the palace, whether it's through a back door or, you know, they um, they uh, they get another note that says meet X person here. They will hand you a piece of paper, read what the paper says. And it turns out to be a, uh, a scroll of teleportation circle that takes you into the wizard's tower without anybody else seeing you. So the wizard can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you guys before then sending you on your way. Or if the king wants to talk with you, you know, still send them to the palace and you can, maybe they can even be allowed to use the front door. Where, wherever, whatever the scope of the quest is, make sure your starting area where they are receiving that quest will end up matching the, uh, on the same level uh, as the quest they are being given. The, the entrance point for the adventure has to be tailored to the adventure. Exactly. If you were a a good way, you could possibly subvert that, like a court wizard in a tavern, is the players go there. He claims to be the court wizard. And has them go on this wild goose chase to get an artifact, but is actually a con artist, just claiming to be a wizard. That ties it in more with the aesthetic of going into a tavern. Yeah. We, we found the prophecy of legend, and you, dear sir, might just look like who we need. But to tell you more, I will just need five of your little gold pieces. <laughs> I will need the four numbers on the back of your credit card. <laughs> hey, three numbers. You were thinking the four numbers. funny letters of my mother's social security number. <laughs> Don't forget the three funny numbers on the back of your credit card. Never forget them. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so that that's one of my my grievances with taverns. Uh, let me take a look at my notes here. Uh, ooh, this is another good one. Why are the people looking for hope in a tavern? When when shit hits the fan, when you need a hero, who are you gonna call? Not your local tavern, Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler, you know, um, you're you're gonna go call Bonnie Tyler because you need a hero. So why are these heroes being found there? Maybe you can tie it into like there's a commotion in the city, and there are some thugs, bandits, you know, they're they're hitting up a storefront and they're making a getaway, and your characters, you know. You can, uh, and just have that general concept. Don't have a location for it. Just have the general concept that that's what happens. Then when you can perceive all of your characters after, you know, maybe steering them to a central location after a minute, then you just drop that plot device down. They're all together. They get introduced to each other by sing, uh, just taking upon themselves to stop this thing from happening. Everybody sees the way you all br bravely and boldly step forward to handle this threat to the people's lives around them and your own personal lives which then gets you landed into the candidacy for the hope that the people need right now. So they're like, hey, you seem selfless, a man of action, and you did, the, and you actually got the job done. Let's bring you in for that. But again, maybe you all came pouring out of the tavern. But yeah, I don't, I don't think people are going to be looking to the answer for their problems in a tavern unless your answer was the bottom of a bottle. If you're... If you're... Like daughter was stolen away by a group of bandits, uh, your first instinct wouldn't be to run into the tavern and start yelling at people. Into a your first instinct wouldn't be to run into a dive bar and start yelling at people. Oh, help me! Free drinks for the first drunkard that saves my daughter. To be fair, with the way I usually run them, I would trust the random drunkard more than I would the city guard. They're basically on par with the bandits. Oh, yeah, but, I mean... you The the way you subvert that is, or the way you play into that, would be having the person be drinking away their sorrows at the events that happened. Actually, yeah. they are on par with the, the bandits. A, a city guard is a CRH creature, while a bandit is a CR half creature. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to believe. Wait. 
One eighth. Sorry, I thought you said eighth, and I was like, no, no city no. guard has ever made it past quarter level. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, that's we've talked about this before. Why I don't understand why goblins just haven't overrun all of man's modern settlements if the common city guard is a CR eighth creature and a goblin's a CR half. Also, what if one of the characters hates society and/or does not want to meet in a tavern? Then all of a sudden you've got this kind of rogue element that you're having to introduce around everything else while everybody else is meeting in the tavern and get their usual, get, getting their, you know, spiel about the quest or whatnot. You know, it's just, it's just a problem I've had, I've seen come up before. And uh, again, with that kind of like, say that lawful evil Quergar, why does he want to meet in a public place? Probably not. Remember, it's not a railroad. If they don't notice it's a railroad. You need to do it subtly. You need to coax them into it. They need to come to you, and then you trap them in. Oh, yes. My last couple points on it here. This first one is more just a grievance, like, when people do do the tavern. Please do not make your bartender a retired 20th level <laughs> character. Um, it's... I'm just gonna be blunt here. It's unoriginal. And it's too convenient. Hey, it's one of those things that you think is really cool when you start doing D&D. Then you notice that everyone else who started doing D&D thought that was really cool when they first started out, too. Oh, yes, but less of it being unoriginal. It's just too convenient. You happen across the bar, uh, and like, okay, so here, here's another thing that I was I was taught about how you can imagine the scale of your character's power and your relevance in the world. A level 1 character is a starting adventurer. A level 5 character is the hero of a city. A level 10 character is the hero of an entire country. And that makes sense. At that point, you could cast Teleportation Circle. And then when you're a level 20 character, you are a hero of the entire world. So just happening to come into a tavern where the bartender is a retired world-level hero... It's just entirely too convenient for keeping the characters in line or, or hey, you're causing chaos and I'm going to show as a dungeon master how I deal with chaos in my games by brutally browbeating you with the character that is beyond your power. Yeah, it'd be like if I walked into the local watering hole to annihilate my frontal cortex and I look over and there's just Beowulf behind the counter. <laughs> exactly. Now, this, of course, is again contextual. If you made it, say, a retired level 5 thief, that would be more in tune with the area that you're in, and that could also lead to some interesting stuff. Yeah, or that even gave me an idea. Um, the, the, the bartender is a retired level 5 thief who knows a level 20 character, and it's like, and maybe down the line it's like, okay, you need to talk to them. I can point you in the direction of the last known acquaintance I heard that knew where they were, but like, I parted ways from that party pretty early on. They were getting some dangerous shit that I wanted no part of. And then that's a great way to like connect that into a later plot point. But just don't make your bartender a level 20 character. It's just too convenient and doesn't really introduce anything. I, I think the main, the main thing here is not throwing extremely high, powerful entities around like they're loose change. Because it feels like you're beating a... um. It feels like you're beating your players with a stick. It feels like exactly. you're, you're dangling something over the players like, ooh, look at all this cooler stuff that's not you. Look at these keys I am jangling in my own face. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and uh, lastly, one of my points on this is, why would you want to meet? Why, why would you want a secret meeting in a place where people will remember your face? Uh, yeah, we're getting the mysterious note that says, hey, meet me here. I mean, it, it depends on, like, how notable you actually are or notable the person you're meeting up with is. Okay, so I guess you could say overall my grievance with starting in taverns is when you're starting big, epic, grand quest from a tavern. Yeah. Why would you want to meet in a tavern for subtlety? That's not a place you meet for subtlety. Here's my counterpoint. There are a lot of back rooms that you can rent out, you know, for a fee where maybe not too many people are hearing, but just the right people you need to listen in. True, but then my counterpoint to your counterpoint is those people come looking for that person. Hey, did you see anybody here? Uh, I don't know, but uh, that knife you have looks really sharp. Uh, somebody did actually rent out one of the back rooms. Can you give me a description of this person? Hey, 
Money usually um, influences people far more than threats of violence. <laughs> threats of violence, sure, but nonetheless, um, you make yourself even more conspicuous by running out of backroom, or rather more easily identifiable. This is fair. I can go into some other things, but yeah, it's, it's overall, my main points about why I personally don't like starting in taverns, it's too unoriginal, it's too easy... And for the scope of what, uh, depending on the scope of what you're trying to have be the overarching crisis of your campaign, it's too mundane. Yeah, I can feel that. So what would you propose as an alternative, then? Well, um, rather than people trying to bust into the recording room, um... He yearns. D don't worry about it, there's just a troll we have chained in our basement. So, alternative things I would suggest. You can get just as much community out of a town square as opposed to a tavern and that opens up things more where people want to go in town as opposed to just the tavern the touch grass but for D&D starting games exactly <laughs> off to um, the markets with you 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 can do the elder scrolls thing of starting in a prison that's always a fun one born to uncertain parents on a certain day exactly <laughs> ooh what if my favorite ones that I never really get to do, but because it is pretty situational, but we did start the Pirates campaign off this way, was getting, is getting marooned. Ah, uh, marooning. Marooning, I love marooning, what a great way to bring your characters together, it's surviving in the wilderness, being survivors of the, of the, of the marooning itself. And if you play it right, none of those characters will want to talk to each other again after being rescued. Oh, um... Festivals, uh, uh, Coronation Day, um, in, in uh, an Eastern uh, fantasy game I'm coming up with, uh, it's going to be the Dragon Festival. Some sort of celebration that can bring people together in the community as well, and then introducing a crisis that pops up in the middle of that. Um, and then you and then you can get great reflections in how your character behaves and acts and what they choose to do in the middle of the crisis. Are you going to try and corral people and calm the situation down or get people to safety? Are you going to take advantage of the confusion of the situation and take the chance to pilfer what you wanted that you couldn't afford in the beginning? Or was there somebody that caused you a personal grievance in the crowd and you're going to take the opportunity to get a little well-deserved payback on that person? I like starting at a festival for kind of a similar but different reason for you. You were talking about, like, okay, how does the character react to moments of crisis? Mm -hmm. We all think about what our characters would do in a moment of crisis. That's we're true. humans. We are hardwired to have action fero fantasies going in our head, like, I want to say 45% of the time. So... What do they do when they're just going around a festival? That is what I'm more interested in knowing, because those little fine details, those are things you don't think about before you actually get into play with the character. This is true. Other than that, I would just say, think about what you want to do for your campaign, the direction you would like to go for your campaign, and then from there, write out three... Different possible ways you can introduce the campaign that is thematic to the, the, the theme of the campaign. Uh, come up with five courses of action you think your players can take, and they'll take the seventh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's my recommendation for how to start your game, or where you, can, where you can start your game. I think one of the good examples I had was you can run in a tavern, but... It's more of a backdrop. The scene you set is not about the tavern, the tavern's coincidental. The example I recall is me starting my Spelljammer game I was running. And I effectively had the players go into a spaceport for, of a Dwarven Citadel off of a sort of shitty junk bus of a spaceship. And they introduced their characters by going through customs. They had to announce their name that they were using and the purpose of their visit into the space station. Pleasure. <laughs> and this one over here, I'm pointing to Edward, was introduced later in a different scene, but was playing an NPC who I was going to have be a NPC they meet later as an ally, and he turns 
this guy into a mustache-twirling villain. I haven't played a cartoon villain in years. And you took it out of my NPC. He probably deserved it. Probably. He's British. <laughs> but that is to say, after this, the party naturally just made their way into a tavern to uh, basically lodge in for the night while they were in the spaceport. And that's when I had the action start occurring, where a ship crash lands in front of the tavern, and they see pirates sort of flying over as uh, the Dwarven Citadel's trying to defend itself. And in that case, they did technically all meet up in a tavern, but it wasn't... It was never built up like that. Plus, you didn't start with it, because... You started with them getting off of a rickety shitter going through customs. So that is you sitting down with each player and asking them in the most cold bureaucratic way, what is your character? Yes. And these are all good ideas. But of course, everything's contextual. One of the best campaigns, spontaneous campaigns, mind you, that I ever took part in was the infamous Cheers. Fucking <laughs> Cheers. It was originally going to be a one-shot in which we all played a bunch of mercenaries in a bar, in a shitty bar, and it was the beginning of a, a war known as the Cruel Wars in Senate. And what was supposed to happen was the DM had this elaborate wave-based combat set up with custom enemies and he was going to fight us until all of our characters died. And what actually happened was, we spent the next six hours in a tavern talking to each other and the patrons, because we just made a bunch of, like, funny social characters and just had fun roleplay. I love that TJ was going to send you into only war in Pathfinder. Yes. Man, that game was really TJ's um, personal Samsara, wasn't it? Yes. He, how how he, many sessions? He, it, I don't know. We didn't get past fifth level. <laughs> we went four hours without rolling in lots of those sessions. But that is to say that the basics of that campaign was we started out in a tavern and it was low stakes and it stayed low stakes. And it ended up being memorable because we, it sort of morphed into this slice of life that revolved around the tavern because we befriended the tavern keeper and we were trying to help him pay rent on the tavern so we could keep going back. <laughs> While you're and putting was... off the video game encounter in the background. Yes, and we only went out to do missions to get rent money. <laughs> we, it, the, the actual adventuring was like... Side stuff we didn't want to do, because we wanted to be in the tavern. You know, talking about going on mind-bending adventures to pay rent, that brings me to my example, which, really showing my age here, actually not actually showing my age here, this is far older than I have any right to be quoting, Shadowrun 3rd Edition had the Super Tuesday supplement. Five adventures all revolving around one of the candidates in the 2057 pres UCAS presidential election. Do you, do you have some context for those who don't know Shadowrun? It's basically D&D, like, fastballed into cyberpunk. If somebody took cyberpunk, uh, ripped off some more William Gibson, and then decided, fuck it, there are elves now. The president of that election was a dragon. The shortest serving president on record. But we're getting away from ourselves. I want to talk about Strange Attraction. Strange Attraction is just a mission you start, and your players are passed out in the woods. They don't have any of their weapons on them. They're still ha they still have their clothes. They don't know how they got there. They only have their civilian items and this weird orange key. And so they have to schlep out of the woods and presumably back to Seattle because everything in the sixth world happens there. Then they get a frantic call from somebody asking, what the hell happened with that job I hired you for? And their response is, what? So they basically have to hang over their way ba back through a Shadowrun to figure out 
who's trying to kill us? Oh, God. Okay, that's a pretty good setup. Uh, in media res style? Yeah, in media res. Alright, nice, nice, nice. You don't start in the tavern, you start after the tavern. Precisely. We all know what you're doing in there. Let's talk about the, um, important thing. The morning after. I think that is just a pretty good summary of the trope. It's a useful trope, but I think it's just a little too easy to slip into and not think critically on. And when you are first starting off your game, you are just falling at the start of the jump right there. Shitty taverns all the way, though. Whenever your players just wander where you don't want them to be, it's like, fuck it, there's a tavern here, uh, go talk to yourselves while I quickly write this down. If a DM, if a DM, one of the DM's useful tools is the occasional railroad, then the tavern is the train station. Precisely. And this isn't to say you can't lazily throw in a tavern. If you just want to get started, and you have a bunch of friends who aren't familiar with D&D, and you really want to throw in the tavern, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. Always get new players. They don't know the tropes. They're so good. They just clap. They're so happy like golden retrievers. And they'll do the weirdest shit you can imagine. Absolutely. Try running for a group of, uh, what, like six to ten-year-olds? You'll get the funniest shit you've ever heard and the most chaos you can handle. It's an inspiration, really. On a slight tangent, I ran a game for my family once, and there there was a mistake. One of my brothers, who was, I think, 14 at the time... Uh, played a barbarian, and I was running a D&D 5e module where they had to basically go into an old, like, I think, Naga temple and find, and they found an unconscious wizard who... Is this Tales of the Yawning Portal? I don't think, no, I don't think it's not mm-hmm. it at all. And they basically found an unconscious wizard who trapped himself there with magic a hundred years ago. And one of the, and my brother... Goes, alright, I go and chop off his fingers while he's sleeping. Turn to him and say, what? Well, you guys are Italian. You're Italians, this is how we roll. Yeah, it's just like, you snap off the fingers and you leave a horse head in the bed. Well, I had to wake him up somehow, DM. (laughs) Running for your family is a mistake, and it's hilarious. Always terrible. That just reminds me of uh, one shot my brother ran who consistently makes the mistake of running for me. Um, But it was just sort of like going to be a stereotypical jungle adventure. And then the other players landed and went over to a summer home and proceeded to RP for about two hours. The main problem with this was that I was a lizard folk who lived there. I was just sitting there waiting to be introduced for like two hours, and then eventually, seeing that I am zoning out, my brother just slowly guides me to the scene, at which point it becomes a slasher film. (laughs) Where I am. Oh, yeah, I was playing a lizard folk, uh, I think it was an Eldritch Knight in 5e, and one of the other players was. He was inspired by some musical, but I can't remember the name of it, about, like, you know, being cool and popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure was some it people... Rent? Please don't tell me. No, it wasn't Rent. It wasn't Rent. <laughs> but he... Hate rent. Everybody hates Rent, but you had to deal with it in the 90s because that's all the gay shit we were getting. But anyway, he leads me over there to this house mostly full of NPCs student NPCs on vacation. (laughs) And so, naturally, being a genre-aware shithead, I start making my way through that house like the fucking alien. (laughs) Crawling in the fence like a xenomorph. That's a great intro to the campaign, having one of the players be Jason Voorhees. Oh my god! And you say you don't want me running a chaotic evil character. Okay, that would be pretty good. We just need to workshop it before. (laughs) Always talk to your players. Anyway, I think that about wraps it up. I have been Edward. I have been Richard. I have been an ethereal spirit conjured forth here to mediate this podcast. Purely in pain. The whole time.
It never ends. The agony never stops. I wish to leave this mortal coil. Oh, also plug your shit. <laughs> and if you would like to play a fun game where you do not start in a tavern, or maybe, I don't know, we'll see how the game goes. Again, if it matches the overarching theme of the campaign, but if you would like some quality Dungeons & Dragons full of a fair balance of roleplay and game, then feel free to message me at Mimic, uh, Mimic, as in the monster, Mimic, RPGs at gmail.com for a cheap $20 a game. You're going to have a blast, and I have tons of user reviews to guarantee that statement. Man, you can just turn on the infomercial voice. He didn't prep for that. I'm just sitting here looking at him. There's no script. He just conjured it forth. Yeah, what? Uh, I don't have any shit to plug except, I guess, this, which... Congratulations making it all this way through. Bye.